Chapter 2, Part 4 of Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matt Mark Graff. Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds by Charles McKay, Volume 2, Chapter 2 the witch mania part four a few cases of witch persecution in the sixteenth century will enable the reader to form a more accurate idea of the progress of this great error than if he plunged at once into that busy period of its history when matthew hopkins and his coadjutors exercised their infernal calling several instances occur in england during the latter years of the reign of elizabeth at this time the public mind had become pretty familiar with the details of the crime bishop jewell in his sermons before her majesty used constantly to conclude them by a fervent prayer that she might be preserved from witches upon one occasion in fifteen ninety eight his words were if it may please your grace to understand that witches and sorcerers within these last four years are marvellously increased within this your grace's realm your grace's subjects pine away even unto death their colour fadeth their flesh rotteth their speech is benumbed their senses are bereft i pray god they may never practise further than upon the subject by degrees an epidemic terror of witchcraft spread into the villages in proportion as the doctrine of the puritans took root this dread increased and of course brought persecution in its train the church of england has claimed and is entitled to the merit of having been less influenced in these matters than any other sect of christians but still they were tainted with the superstition of the age one of the most flagrant instances of cruelty and delusion upon record was consummated under the authority of the church and commemorated till a very late period by an annual lecture at the university of cambridge this is the celebrated case of the witches of warboys who were executed about thirty-two years after the passing of the statute of elizabeth although in the interval but a few trials are recorded there is unfortunately but too much evidence to show the extreme length to which the popular prejudice was carried many women lost their lives in every part of england without being brought to trial at all from the injuries received at the hands of the people the number of these can never be ascertained the case of the witches of warboys merits to be detailed at length not only from the importance attached to it for so many years by the learned of the university but from the singular absurdity of the evidence upon which men sensible in all other respects could condemn their fellow-creatures to the scaffold the principal actors in this strange drama were the families of sir samuel cromwell and a mr throgmorton both gentlemen of landed property near warboys in the county of huntingdon mr throgmorton had several daughters the eldest of whom mistress joan was an imaginative and melancholy girl whose head was filled with stories of ghosts and witches upon one occasion she chanced to pass the cottage of one mrs or as she was called mother samuel a very aged very poor and very ugly woman mother samuel was sitting at her door knitting with a black cap upon her head 
when this silly young lady passed and taking her eyes from her work she looked steadfastly at her mistress joan immediately fancied that she felt sudden pains in all her limbs and from that day forth never ceased to tell her sisters and everybody about her that mother samuel had bewitched her the other children took up the cry and actually frightened themselves into fits whenever they passed within sight of this terrible old woman mr and mrs throgmorton not a whit wiser than their children believed all the absurd tales they had been told and lady cromwell a gossip of mrs throgmorton made herself very active in the business and determined to bring the witch to the ordeal the sapient sir samuel joined in the scheme and the children thus encouraged gave loose reins to their imaginations which seemed to have been of the liveliest they soon invented a whole host of evil spirits and names for them besides which they said were sent by mother samuel to torment them continually seven spirits especially they said were raised from hell by this wicked woman to throw them into fits and as the children were actually subject to fits their mother and her commeres gave the more credit to the story the names of these spirits were first smack second smack third smack blue catch hard name and pluck throgmorton the father was so pestered by these idle fancies and yet so well inclined to believe them that he marched valiantly forth to the hut where mother samuel resided with her husband and daughter and dragged her forcibly into his own grounds lady cromwell mrs throgmorton and the girls were in waiting armed with long pins to prick the witch and see if they could draw blood from her lady cromwell who seems to have been the most violent of the party tore the old woman's cap off her head and plucking out a handful of her gray hair gave it to mrs throgmorton to burn as a charm which would preserve them all from her future machinations it was no wonder that the poor creature subjected to this rough usage should give vent to an involuntary curse upon her tormentors she did so and her curse was never forgotten her hair however was supposed to be a grand specific and she was allowed to depart half dead with terror and ill usage for more than a year the families of cromwell and throgmorton continued to persecute her and to assert that her imps afflicted them with pains and fits turned the milk sour in their pans and prevented their cows and ewes from bearing in the midst of these fooleries lady cromwell was taken ill and died it was then remembered that her death had taken place exactly a year and a quarter since she was cursed by mother samuel and that on several occasions she had dreamed of the witch and a black cat the latter being of course the arch-enemy of mankind himself sir samuel cromwell now conceived himself bound to take more energetic measures against the sorceress since he had lost his wife by her means the year and a quarter and the black cat were proofs positive all the neighbors had taken up the cry of witchcraft against mother samuel and her personal appearance unfortunately for her the very ideal of what a witch ought to be increased the popular suspicion it would appear that at last the poor woman believed even to her own disadvantage that she was what everybody represented her to be being forcibly brought into mr throgmorton's house 
when his daughter joan was in one of her customary fits she was commanded by him and sir samuel cromwell to expel the devil from the young lady she was told to repeat her exorcism and to add as i am a witch and the causer of lady cromwell's death i charge the fiend to come out of her she did as was required of her and moreover confessed that her husband and daughter were leagued with her in witchcraft and had like her sold their souls to the devil the whole family were immediately arrested and sent to huntingdon to prison the trial was instituted shortly afterwards before mr justice fenner when all the crazy girls of mr throgmorton's family gave evidence against mother samuel and her family they were all three put to the torture the old woman confessed in her anguish that she was a witch that she had cast her spells upon the young ladies and that she had caused the death of lady cromwell the father and daughter stronger in mind than their unfortunate wife and parent refused to confess anything and asserted their innocence to the last they were all three condemned to be hanged and their bodies burned the daughter who was young and good-looking excited the pity of many persons and she was advised to plead pregnancy that she might gain at least a respite from death the poor girl refused proudly on the ground that she would not be accounted both a witch and a strumpet her half-witted old mother caught at the idea of a few weeks longer life and asserted that she was pregnant the court was convulsed with laughter in which the wretched victim herself joined and this was accounted an additional proof that she was a witch the whole family were executed on the seventh of april fifteen ninety three sir samuel cromwell as lord of the manor received the sum of forty pounds out of the confiscated property of the samuels which he turned into a rent charge of forty sterling yearly for the endowment of an annual sermon or lecture upon the enormity of witchcraft and this case in particular to be preached by a doctor or bachelor of divinity of queen's college cambridge i have not been able to ascertain the exact date at which this annual lecture was discontinued but it appears to have been preached so late as seventeen eighteen when dr hutchinson published his work upon witchcraft to carry on in proper chronological order the history of the witch delusion in the british isles it will be necessary to examine into what was taking place in scotland during all that part of the sixteenth century anterior to the accession of james the sixth to the crown of england we naturally expect that the scotch a people renowned from the earliest times for their powers of imagination should be more deeply imbued with this gloomy superstition than their neighbors of the south the nature of their soil and climate tended to encourage the dreams of early ignorance ghosts goblins wraiths kelpies and a whole host of spiritual beings were familiar to the dwellers by the misty glens of the highlands and the romantic streams of the lowlands their deeds whether of good or ill were enshrined in song and took a greater hold upon the imagination because verse had sanctified them but it was not till the religious reformers began the practice of straining scripture to the severest extremes that the arm of the law was called upon to punish witchcraft as a crime per se what pope innocent the eighth had done for germany and france the preachers of the reformation did for the scottish people 
witchcraft instead of being a mere article of faith became enrolled in the statute book and all good subjects and true christians were called upon to take arms against it the ninth parliament of queen mary passed an act in fifteen sixty three which decreed the punishment of death against witches and consulters with witches and immediately the whole bulk of the people were smitten with an epidemic fear of the devil and his mortal agents persons in the highest ranks of life shared and encouraged the delusion of the vulgar many were themselves accused of witchcraft and noble ladies were shown to have dabbled in mystic arts and proved to the world that if they were not witches it was not for want of the will among the dames who became notorious for endeavouring to effect their wicked ends by the devil's aid may be mentioned the celebrated lady Buccleuch of branksome familiar to all the readers of sir walter scott the countess of lothian the countess of angus the countess of athol lady kerr the countess of huntley euphemia MacCalzian, the daughter of lord cliftonhall and lady fowlis among the celebrated of the other sex who were accused of wizardism was sir lewis ballantyne the lord justice clerk for scotland who if we may believe scott of scott starvet dealt by curiosity with a warlock called richard graham and prayed him to raise the devil the warlock consented and raised him in propria persona in the yard of his house in the Canongate at the sight of whom the lord justice clerk was so terrified that he took sickness and thereof died by such idle reports as these did the envious ruin the reputation of those they hated though it would appear in this case that sir lewis had been fool enough to make the attempt of which he was accused and that the success of the experiment was the only apocryphal part of the story john knox the enemies of john knox invented a similar tale which found ready credence among the roman catholics glad to attach any stigma to that grand scourge of the vices of their church it was reported that he and his secretary went into the churchyard of st andrews with the intent to raise some sanctities but that by a mistake in their conjurations they raised the great fiend himself instead of the saints they wished to consult the popular rumor added that knox's secretary was so frightened at the great horns goggle eyes and long tail of satan that he went mad and shortly afterwards died knox himself was built of sterner stuff and was not to be frightened the first name that occurs in the records of the high court of justiciary of persons tried or executed for witchcraft is that of janet bowman in fifteen seventy two nine years after the passing of the act of mary no particulars of her crimes are given and against her name there only stands the words convict and burnt it is not however to be inferred that in this interval no trials or executions took place for it appears on the authority of documents of unquestioned authenticity in the advocate's library at edinburgh that the privy council made a practice of granting commissions to resident gentlemen and ministers in every part of scotland to examine try and execute witches within their own parishes no records of those who suffered from the sentence of these tribunals have been preserved 
but if popular tradition may be believed even to the amount of one-fourth of its assertions their number was fearful after the year fifteen seventy two the entries of executions for witchcraft in the records of the high court become more frequent but do not average more than one per annum another proof that trials for this offence were in general entrusted to the local magistracy the latter appeared to have ordered witches to the stake with as little compunction and after as summary a mode as modern justices of the peace order a poacher to the stocks as james the sixth advanced in manhood he took great interest in the witch trials one of them especially that of gelly duncan dr fian and their accomplices in the year fifteen ninety one engrossed his whole attention and no doubt suggested in some degree the famous work on demonology which he wrote shortly afterwards as these witches had made an attempt upon his own life it is not surprising with his habits that he should have watched the case closely or become strengthened in his prejudice and superstition by its singular details no other trial that could be selected would give so fair an idea of the delusions of the scottish people as this whether we consider the number of victims the absurdity of the evidence and the real villainy of some of the persons implicated it is equally extraordinary gelly duncan the prime witch in these proceedings was servant to the deputy bailiff of Trenant a small town in haddingtonshire about ten miles from edinburgh though neither old nor ugly as witches usually were but young and good-looking her neighbours from some suspicious parts of her behaviour had long considered her a witch she had it appears some pretensions to the healing art some cures which she effected were so sudden that the worthy bailiff her master who like his neighbours mistrusted her considered them no less than miraculous in order to discover the truth he put her to the torture but she obstinately refused to confess that she had dealings with the devil it was the popular belief that no witch would confess as long as the mark which satan had put upon her remained undiscovered upon her body somebody present reminded the torturing bailey of this fact and on examination the devil's mark was found upon the throat of poor gelly she was put to the torture again and her fortitude giving way under the extremity of her anguish she confessed that she was indeed a witch that she had sold her soul to the devil and effected all her cures by his aid this was something new in the witch creed according to which the devil delighted more in laying diseases on than in taking them off but gelly duncan fared no better on that account the torture was still applied until she had named all her accomplices among whom were one cunningham a reputed wizard known by the name of dr fian a grave and matron-like witch named agnes sampson euphemia mccalsian the daughter of lord cliftonhall already mentioned and nearly forty other persons some of whom were the wives of respectable individuals in the city of edinburgh every one of these persons was arrested and the whole realm of scotland thrown into commotion by the extraordinary nature of the disclosures which were anticipated about two years previous to this time james had suddenly left his kingdom and proceeded gallantly to denmark to fetch over his bride the princess of denmark 
who had been detained by contrary weather in the harbor of Uppsala. After remaining for some months in Copenhagen, he set sail with his young bride and arrived safely in Leith on the 1st of May, 1590, having experienced a most boisterous passage and been nearly wrecked. As soon as the arrest of Gelly Duncan and Fian became known in Scotland, it was reported by everybody who pretended to be well informed that these witches and their associates had, by the devil's means, raised the storms which had endangered the lives of the king and queen. Gelly, in her torture, had confessed that such was the fact, and the whole kingdom waited aghast and open-mouthed for the corroboration about to be furnished by the trial. Agnes Sampson, the grave and matron-like witch implicated by Gelly Duncan, was put to the horrible torture of the Pillywinkus. She lay bare all the secrets of the sisterhood before she had suffered an hour, and confessed that Gelly Duncan, Dr. Fian, Marion Lincup, Euphemia McCalsian, herself, and upwards of two hundred witches and warlocks used to assemble at midnight in the kirk of North Berwick, where they met the devil, that they had plotted there to attempt the king's life, that they were incited to this by the old fiend himself who had asserted with a thundering oath that James was the greatest enemy he ever had, and that there would be no peace for the devil's children upon earth until he were got rid of. That the devil upon these occasions always liked to have a little music, and that Gilly Duncan used to play a reel before him on a trump or Jew's harp to which all the witches danced james was highly flattered at the idea that the devil should have said that he was the greatest enemy ever had he sent for gelly duncan to the palace and made her play before him the same reel which she said she had played at the witch's dance in the kirk end of chapter two part one recording by matt markgraf